Blog Talk Radio. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Will a strong and united America still be a force for freedom and prosperity around the world? America has created the longest peacetime economic expansion in our history. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Good common sense and sound judgment of the American people and their essential love of justice. Hi, welcome to the Kudzu Vine for June 12th, 2022. I'm your host, David McLaughlin. Joining me as always, welcome Catherine Smith. Greetings from Atlanta. And welcome Tim Shiflett. Good evening, sir. All right, exciting show tonight. I think for about the fourth time, and the third different book he will cover with us, our guest is author and Florida humorist Craig Pittman. Uh, Craig is just such an excellent writer, and I don't know that we've had an author on as many times um, as we've had um, Craig on. And so you can tell he's one of our favorites. And tonight he'll be talking to us about the book, The State You're In, uh, about Florida uh, people and other wildlife, and so we'll discuss that with um, Craig in about 20 minutes. But until then, we're going to cover some political topics, and we're going to start off in the state of Alabama, and they had a pretty interesting um, Republican primary for U.S. Senate, and it, it was um, uh, Katie Britt, Mo Brooks, and Mike Durant were the main uh, contenders, and. Uh, Mo Brooks originally had the Donald Trump endorsement. Donald Trump took that endorsement away and almost – I think he was very, very close to giving it to Mike Durant, but never did. And Mike Durant also, when that endorsement was pulled from um, Mo Brooks, Mike Durant rose in the polls. And if you would ask me about a month ago who's going to be in the runoff and will there be a runoff, yes, who will be in the runoff, I would have thought it would have been Katie Britt and Mike Durant, but something – Interesting happened. Mo Brooks passed Mike Durant and made it into the runoff with Katie Britt, and now we have a runoff between the two. And just in the last day or two, Donald Trump, even though he has made some negative statements about Katie Britt in the past, has endorsed um, Katie Britt for the runoff, and she got the most votes in the first round. And she also has the support of outgoing Senator uh, Richard Shelby. So that's kind of the lay of the land here. Um, Tim, are you surprised at how this race kind of flipped around from maybe a year ago, thinking Mo Brooks was the uh, favorite, to maybe uh, two months ago, Mike Durant being the favorite, and now settling into where Katie Britt looks like it's almost going to be impossible to beat her? Yeah, well, you know, she uh, worked for Richard Shelby. That's how she wind up, wound up in this race, of course. Uh, and, and you've already mentioned the biggest news associated with this. It's not that Mo Brooks came back from the dead. It's, it, it's that Donald Trump, you know, has made an endorsement. uh, 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 uh <laughs> When she announced last year, guys, he he called her in no way qualified to run and the assistant to a rhino senator. 
But after that, of course, Mo Brooks fell out of favor. He rescinded his endorsement uh, for him. And um, basically, I think, because she got like almost 45% of the vote on primary night, and Brooks is around 29%, uh, it looks like that Trump is jumping on the bandwagon uh, if, as expected, she goes on and wins, well, of course, he can uh, loudly take credit for it. He's already jumping out there calling her a fearless America first warrior. Doesn't that just warm uh-huh. your heart, Catherine? Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> I, I yeah. can't well, even, well, I, I don't even know where to begin with this. <laughs> I mean, is there anyone le- more shallow in politics lately than Donald, former President Donald Trump? Like no. he switches his his support. Like you know, I mean, I think this one's obvious. He's looking at a winner. He wants to win. Um, mm-hmm. but oh, Alabama. It's always something in Alabama. What do you think, David? Well, I do think that this is interesting, and it's kind of off-brand for Alabama Republicans. This is a party that was given the choice between Luther Strange and Roy Moore and picked Roy Moore. Roy Moore is such a bad candidate that a Democrat even beat him in a special election. Now, Doug Jones was just an excellent candidate for Alabama as far as a Democrat goes. But Alabama is just a really, really tough state. I mean, it is about as Republican as you can get, particularly for having the demographics of a southern state. Um, you look at some other winners recently. Tommy Tuberville. Um, you know, Tommy Tuberville's really probably hoping Herschel Walker wins because then he won't be the person that probably knows the least about government in the United States Senate. Because right now he is. I mean, he might can point to Marsha Blackburn every once in a while, but it seems like Tommy Tuberville knows the least. Um, and so they've really always been picking these, you know, super unqualified candidates just because they're hardcore partisans. And in this case, I mean, if you just gave me the choice of a lot of Republicans lately, like Roy Moore, like Mo Brooks, like Tommy Tuberville. Katie Britt starts to look decently qualified. So I think this is pretty <laughs> off-brand for Alabama Republicans <laughs> to go with her for the nominee. Uh, it kinda, it's kind of like, well, Richard Shelby, was, you know, he used to be a Democrat. He's sort of a bring home the bacon, um, just a senator more than a partisan. And so let's replace that with the, you know, a more modern version in Katie Britt. Um, Tim, are you kind of shocked at what they've done here? Well, yeah, she is the – they picked the best candidate. If, you know, if, if a Republican's got to win, that's who I would have picked, would have been her. Of course, Richard Shelby has a lot of support in that state. He's around a long time. His constituent services probably reached every corner of that state over the years in some way. Uh, working for him. She was part of that for a while. And I would imagine uh, more than anything, his help. 
is 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 what really propelled her, especially after the win went went out of Mo Brooks's uh, sales a little bit last year before he recovered enough to uh, slip into the runoff. But I I, I believe Richard Shelby is the is the secret here and. And the fact yeah, that Donald Trump softened softened uh, his language on her before he finally, you know, jumped, you know, like we said, on the bandwagon. So that, I, I think that's basically what happened over there. Yes. Well, Catherine, Mo Brooks kind of tried a new tactic, and maybe this helped him pass Mike Durant, that um, – uh, Katie Britt was the candidate of Mitch McConnell, and he's been running against Mitch McConnell um, for the last uh, few months. And so could he possibly, you know, take that to some type of victory if it's a really super low turnout election and maybe some of the folks that just showed up for the county commission race and the sheriff's race and whatever, just regular races there were, those folks just don't come back out that are more likely to support Katie Britt and get into the hardcore partisans. Does Mitch I – mean, I'm sorry, not Mitch. Does Mo uh, Brooks have any angle there? <laughs> it doesn't look like it to me. I mean, I think that that it's – you know, she she got a lot of votes in the primary. She's got the Trump support. I mean, I feel like momentum is on her side. But it's Alabama. Anything could happen. Yeah. One interesting thing is if Katie Britt wins this, then two of the top three offices, that being governor and the two U.S. senators, will be held by women in Alabama, uh, which um, even though they may be pretty conservative uh, women, they are women, and that that is an interesting uh, note to Alabama politics. Well, speaking of um, Alabama women um, in politics, let's move one state over to Georgia and talk about these runoffs. And uh, we, I think we mentioned a little bit last week, last two weeks, about how a few of these races are going to runoffs on the Democratic side, lieutenant governor, secretary of state, and labor commissioner. There may be – there's something else. Help me remember. Um, and um, Stacey Abrams has endorsed – she didn't endorse in the first round, but she endorsed in all three of these races. Um, she endorsed uh, B. Win for secretary of state. William Bodie for Labor Commissioner, and Charlie Bailey for Lieutenant Governor. Um, Catherine, one, are you surprised that she did, and two, how impactful will these endorsements be? I was not, I was not super surprised, a teensy bit surprised, because, you know, so a lot of times politicos try to stay out of the primaries, but I think – I think that those are her champions, and I don't know much about the labor commissioner, but I think that um, B and Charlie are 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 champions of Stacey's, and Stacey is their champion. So I don't think that was really much of a surprise. I do think that if they can um, if they can use these endorsements. Um, you know, if they can get out the word about these endorsements, either by, you know, social media or a combination of all these, all the ways, then I do think it could have have an impact on the race. Um, I think that Stacey Abrams is 
you know, a influential voice, and I think people are likely to listen to it. Tim, your take on um, the endorsements that she made? Well, uh, you know, there there is the the old school thought that uh, says you run your own campaign. That's that's what was Catherine was talking about when some people yeah. are surprised that that uh, you know when she's running herself that she would make endorsements in other races. Uh, but secondly, I believe she does have a really good idea of the team that she would love to run with. Um, right. And, you, you know, especially um, um, with, with uh, you know, the Bailey and, and, and with um, Representative, um, um, well, my, my brain just let me, the lady running for Secretary of State, B. 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 Wynn, yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, she actually endorsed her before the primary, if I'm not mistaken. And the other two came later. Um, I I don't know what the angle was with uh, uh, William uh, Body there, unless they, uh, you know, know each other very well in some way or, or, or something like that. I know, you know, he's a state representative. She, she might know him from there. Uh, but... Uh, you know those endorsements are are, are fine with me. Uh, she's willing to uh, spend some political capital and uh, to uh, you know not only help her own campaign but to help the unified campaign. So that's that's apparently what she's doing. Uh, I voted two of the three that she has endorsed. I won't say which two, but you know, how about you, David? <laughs> Um, I voted for two of the three, too, and, and I bet we voted uh, the same, too, and I bet I can guess who they are. Probably. But um, I will tell you this, and one of the statements I'm going to give away right here, I think B. Wynn is one of the most qualified candidates uh, just of any race. Like, I mean, if you uh, just – she seems like she was really interested in this job. And, I, Tim, I, I think it's this. I think Fair Fight – endorsed B. Win before the first election. And, of course, uh-huh. probably Stacey Abrams had some influence, but technically no it might have been fair fight, not <laughs> Stacey Abrams, um, since uh-huh. that was the organization she started. But, I mean, I think, you know, B. Win, she's so close. I mean, it's she's about like Katie Briggs, about five points from winning. Um, and, then Stacey, and then Charlie Bailey, I'm wondering, you know, he originally was in the attorney general's race because he was ran for attorney general last time. And when Jen Jordan got in, maybe he just looked at the calculus and said, I'm just not going to win that primary, and let's try this. I'm not so sure people around, and that may not have been Stacey Abrams, but insiders may have tried to maneuver him into that race, which he made the runoff. Um, So he, you know, seems to have been working okay so far. Once again, the labor commissioner's race is a little bit of a – a mystery. There were so many candidates in that race. It didn't get the attention. And I, I don't know that, of like, in that race, probably the difference between William Bo- uh, Bodie and Nicole Horn seems to be a lot closer than, say, B. Wynn and D. Hagler, um, mm-hmm. and, you know, or, or possibly in the lieutenant governor's race. Now, talking about that, 
Um, Dee Hagler, she made an accusation that was in the Atlanta Progressive News saying that um, – and I think she actually pointed to these endorsements by Stacey Abrams – that they were racially motivated, um, in which, you know, be win Asian, person of color, William Bodie, black man, person of color, um, the only one would have been lieutenant governor, and that wasn't even in her race. Uh, Catherine, were you kind of surprised by those statements or that accusation that was in Atlanta Progressive News by Dee Hagler? Yeah, I'm disappointed in Dee. I've known her for a long time, and I, I'm disappointed in the way she's behaved after the primary. Um, she should she should be talking about herself, not about other people, and not making – she's made a number of sort of subtle – accusations and as well as that very direct one so i'm just disappointed in her um her strategy if that's what it is um i'd much rather hear more about her and why she thinks she would be such a great secretary of state uh, because i don't i don't see it i don't see her passion or um skill set uh behind that but yeah i I don't know what that – I mean, is she saying that Stacey didn't want a black woman in the SOS race? I mean, that doesn't sound like a – doesn't sound like a legitimate beef, but I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what that's about, but I don't like it. It's disappointing. Yeah, Tim, your take on that um, accusation and, and piece and well, um, it, Atlanta Progressive it, it, it sounded sort of like a sour grapes type thing mm-hmm. to me. You know, like, uh, you know, hey, guys, I wouldn't have said nothing if she would have endorsed me. Uh, but, um, I, you know, I, I don't understand her angle otherwise. Uh, I, I couldn't imagine it would be racially motivated at all. So, I, I, like I said, I think I'll stick with the sour grapes angle here. Yeah, I mean, I know sometimes you're like, I've got to do what I've got to do to win, but I don't see how that helps you win. I mean, I, there may be a certain small portion of the voters that that somehow appeals to, but I think you have to – Tell why you're more qualified than V. Win for that spot. Right. Now, some of that's going to be why you're good, but and some of that could be why B. Win's not. I mean, a- attacking someone or contrasting in some way is fair, but the only problem is I just don't know that there's that many good contrasts for B. Win. She just looks super qualified for this spot. So, I mean, sometimes when five and six candidates get in the race and one's just head and shoulders above the rest. I'm sorry for those other four people. That's just how it happened. Um, well, let's move on to one more race. We don't have a lot of time before Craig will call in. But um, the U.S. Senate race, now we've known this for a while, that, uh, that it was going to be Herschel Walker versus incumbent Senator Raphael Warnock. And Herschel Walker has just continually made news with these statements that just really don't make a lot of sense um, on guns, on <laughs> crime, on everything else. Catherine, just 
uh, I mean, we probably are going to forget some of the statements he makes. But but just pick out one recently and just break that sucker down and, and tell me what it means. Oh God, I can't remember them. Well, I, I mean, I we can start off with so the ridiculous. one that just came out the other day. We've got to put the crime back together. <laughs> yeah, what does that mean? <laughs> the crime is a part. We got to put it back together. I mean, isn't it? Isn't it I, pretty I guess, clear to you? I, he he's uh, he's just a train wreck. But. You know, my biggest fear about um, a candidate like that, you know, everybody's like, I can't wait for the debates. The debates are going to be great. Warnock's going to wipe him. And I just worry that, you know, the expectations are so low that if he doesn't, like, you know, stand up and, you know, if he can put a sentence together, which is questionable, um, everybody's going to say, oh, Walker shined. He was great. Just like we did with George W. Bush. I mean, I don't know if you remember those those debates, but we would watch him and be like, yeah, he sounded like a complete buffoon, and everybody thought, oh, he did really good. He was so much better than Kerry. Anyway. Well, I mean, so that's my worry. Is our is children that, learning? Yeah, that, that was subject-verb yeah, right. agreement. This just... There's a whole new level with putting the crime back together. Uh, but we'll have to oh, yeah. um, leave the crime apart for the moment and, and move on to our guest. And we want to welcome back into the Cozy Vine, Mr. Craig Pittman. Welcome, Craig. Thank you. Thanks for having me back. Oh, glad to have you back. Uh, I think we t- oh, we told people at the start of the show, this is probably – you're the most frequent author we've had on the show. This has been the third time we've had you on about a book, I think the fourth time total – um, but this will be three different books we've covered, um, and today's is going to be your latest book, The State yeah. You're In. Mm-hmm. That's right. Uh just came out this past September, and it's coming out in paperback next month. Oh, congratulations. Excellent, excellent timing. Um, yeah. Well, Craig, I, I know you you described this in the early part of the book, but this is really a collection of your work, I guess, mainly at the Tampa Bay uh, Tribune Times, um, I guess they, they changed names at some point when they merged with the St. Petersburg paper. But just kind of tell us how this book came together. Sure. Well, um, uh, a couple of my colleagues at the at the Tampa Bay Times, formerly the St. Collections of their work, and I thought that was a that was a good idea because you know uh, what's the saying? A, a newspaper story, no matter how good, dies like a snake with the setting sun. Um, so, uh, you put it in a book though, and people go, Hey, I can read this, you know, years from now. So, um, I contacted the folks at the university press of Florida and said, what if I, uh, put together a collection of some of my stories I've written for the times or for some other publications, like, uh, there's one in there from my current employer, the Florida Phoenix. Uh, there are a few in there from, uh, Sarasota magazine and from, um, the one from slate, um, and they said, sure, that sounds great. So I, I started pulling things together. And I knew that the first one had to be the story about the mermaids. Florida has this whole mermaid industry. Um, <laughs> you know, and then uh, the last one is about my great-uncle Carlisle, who was sort of a, uh, an early introduction for me to, to Florida storytellers. And so the, that's sort of a theme of the book is, is uh, Florida stories and Florida storytellers. 
Yes. Uh, uh, just a little aside, I know your, your Uncle Carlisle was into genealogy. I've got mm-hmm. a second cousin who's from Fort Walton Beach by way of Georgia and lives back yeah. in Georgia now, uh, Lynn George, and he is the our family's genealogy person. So maybe it's something about uh, being from the panhandle. Maybe, maybe. Uh, but I used to go over to, to Uncle Carlisle's house, and he'd pull out the Plot the big photo books and show me pictures of all my all my uh, ancestors and relatives and so forth and uh, tell me stories about them. Some of which would curl your hair. It wouldn't curl my hair. I don't have any anymore. But uh, you know. <laughs> yes. Now, now talking about the geography of the book, I noticed there's a lot of folks from the Panhandle. There's a lot yep. of folks from Miami, but maybe not as many from Orlando. Uh, Tampa probably is covered, I guess, commensurate with their population. Maybe not as many as from Jacksonville. Are there different parts of the state of Florida that have more characters and some less? Well, I always say that Pasco County is ground zero for Florida weirdness um, because in addition to the usual, you know, kind of shady real estate dealers and, and sketchy politicians, they've also got uh, the mafia was set up there for a while. And then uh, they they have the largest concentration of nudist resorts in Florida, and which means they've got more than any any other. Um, and there's a piece in there about a, a Pasco County nudist resort that got into a fight with with the uh, postal service about their packages. Yes, and, and Catherine and Tim have already said they want to ask some questions about that in a minute. Oh. So we're we're, okay. we're we're going to get to some of these things you mentioned. Um, but I did want to ask about um, the Gator Man, who has been involved in kind of politics, both uh, Senator Nelson and current Governor Ron DeSantis, uh, and he's a pretty colorful figure for 2022 politics. Absolutely, yeah. Ron, Ron Bergeron, who likes to call himself Alligator Ron, since he, he got in trouble for wrestling an alligator on his ranch. Uh, yeah, he's, he's, I always call him the Florida man of Florida politicians. He's a rodeo champion. Airboat driving, gator wrestling, python hunting, uh, uh, wildlife expert, and uh, he's now on the South Florida Water Management District. But he has been friends with Democratic Senator Bill Nelson. To actually took him python hunting, armed with only a machete, and he's friends with uh, with Governor DeSantis, who's about as uh, Republican as you can get. So he hasn't taken him python hunting, though I noticed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess there might be some people that would root from the Python. I, I won't say yeah. who those people are. Um, <laughs> well, let's just put it this way: there was a the governor held a press conference to announce the kickoff for the last big Python hunt, and then they just posed for a picture where him and some other people were holding a Python. And I noticed that in the picture, uh, Mr. Bergeron was grabbing grabbing it with both hands, like I'm going to hang on to this thing and wrestle it to the ground. And the governor just kind of was like, you know, had his pinkies on it, <laughs> like, you know, like you'd, like you'd hold an ice cream cone so it didn't dro- drop on your Sunday best. <laughs> yeah. So my suggestion no, to the governor was, don't stand next to Mr. Bergeron next time. <laughs> yes, um, they're, they're definitely different characters in different ways. Um, yeah. You mentioned this town with this colorful and a lot of times sad history of Arcadia, Florida. Um, yes. Had never heard of this place before your book, but not so sure I even want to visit it after the the sad tales you tell of it. Although it was, I guess, the birthplace of the Florida rodeo. Um, kind of tell us about that, and then tell us what the town's 
like right now trying to maybe move past some of this? Well, I, I mean, it's a it, that's one of my favorite pieces in the book because it's got such a sweep of history to it. Um, uh, the sort of the the focus of the story, or the I guess the intro to the story, and then, and then it kind of bookends the whole thing, is it starts off by talking about the Arcadia Rodeo, which they call the Granddaddy of Mall because it was the first rodeo in Florida. They started it in 1930, and uh, uh, back then it was a way for the local cowboys to kind of show off their skills. Now it's you know a professional. Thing. So they have professional uh, rodeo cowboys who come in, but the the guy I talked about, the way I wrote about, he his he's part of the bad guys uh, who come in and you know whooping and hollering and shooting up the bank and rob the bank, and then the sheriff and his posse come after the bad guys and make a big deal out of gunning them all down in the middle of the arena, and uh, while everyone applauds, so this guy gets to die every night of the rodeo, um, and then I talked about how. Uh, you know, a hundred years before, that's really the way things were in Arcadia, that they really did have cowboys and shootouts, and uh, uh, there was a range war going on, and uh, this is stuff that was happening here long after the West was kind of settled. So this was in the 1890s. Um, in fact, Florida didn't. Florida had an open range until 1949. They didn't require cattlemen to fence off their property before that. Um, and I talked about how the, you know Arcadia had this sort of uh, long history of, of making national news and not for a good thing. Um, uh, one was in 1967. There was a man, James Richardson, charged with killing his seven children who was actually framed. And finally there was an effort to get him freed from prison. And then, uh, and then the Ray brothers, uh, while Reagan was president, they were hemophiliacs who developed AIDS as a result of a blood transfusion, and a lot of people in Arcadia didn't like them and, and tried to add, they actually, someone actually tried to burn them out. And Reagan went on TV and called them the town without pity, which, uh, you know, a lot of those folks in Arcadia had voted for him, and they felt betrayed by that. So uh, it's, you know, it's, a, it's an interesting place. The things have changed. When I went there, there was actually a, uh, a um, black mayor, and uh, the big problem they were having was that a lot of the young people were moving away because there weren't any job opportunities there. And I think that's continuing to be the case. That's continuing to be their, the big problem. But, uh, but, yeah, they had this sort of legacy of, of racial uh, problems, racial hatred, and, and uh, opposition to kids who had AIDS because of no fault of their own. And it's it just uh, they, they have been doing their best to try and turn things around. I'm not sure how successfully. There's a, um, uh, you know, there the someone should write a whole book on the Richardson case because it's just fascinating. Yes, I'm sure a lot of the things could shoot off into cases. Well, um, last question I'm gonna ask you about the book uh, for until I pass it to um, Tim and Catherine is gonna be about um, the fiction piece in the book, I guess the only fiction piece, and you tell early on that you wish you were a fiction writer. You were you were planning to be a fiction writer. Um, a novelist instead of a nonfiction writer, but if someone <laughs> yeah. who listens or reads 49 nonfiction books to every one fiction book, I'm kind of glad you took the route you did. <laughs> but you did do a piece for Slate in yes. which you essentially do a prequel of the Brady Bunch. Tell our, our listeners about <laughs> well, it and how that all okay. came out. This started as a joke on Twitter. I made a joke on Twitter about the Brady Bunch, <laughs> and an editor at Twitter saw the joke and and actually contacted me and said, I'll pay you to write piece for Slate. So I said, okay. 
<laughs> so I wrote a piece about how when I was a kid, and I really this is part is true. I really did. I I wondered what happened to Mike and Carol's first spouses. You know what happened to his wife? What happened to her husband? And one day I saw Strangers on a Train, the the uh, Alfred Hitchcock movie based on the Patricia Highsmith novel, and I thought that's it. They killed each other's spouses. <laughs> and got away with it so they could marry each other. And that you know, it's a it's a crisscross murder. And so that's the that's the, the sort of the joke I made on Twitter and got expanded into that piece for Slate that you know, it was much more than a hunch. It was <laughs> that's the way they became a family. Yes. Any more prequels in the works for um, other <laughs> old favorite sitcoms? No, 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 no plans to write anything about the uh, about the true adventures of the SS Minnow for <laughs> for Gilligan's Island or, <laughs> or where yeah, the where the Anders family came from, you know, <laughs> anything like that. <laughs> Most definitely. Well, it was definitely something that you do kind of wonder about. I mean, you probably weren't the only yeah. one. Well, I'm going to pass yeah. this thing over to Tim and then Catherine for more questions about the book, and then if we have time, we may ask a little bit about Florida. Tim? Okay. Yeah. Uh, you, you alluded to it at the beginning of the interview, and before I go one step further, you've just got to share with our listeners how in the world uh, that a nudist resort got into a fight <laughs> with the U.S. Post Office. <laughs> well, they, they had a problem with uh, their postal carrier who refused to deliver their packages because – the uh, the way the way things were set up, he would deliver their envelopes to a place where he could avoid seeing people there. But for packages, he actually had to bring them into the resort, and he objected to doing that because you know there aren't any young nudists out there. <laughs> they're all they're all about my age, honestly. <laughs> and so so he he just refused to deliver the packages, and they got in a big fight with the post office about it. And um, they finally got things kind of settled down, and you know, but uh, it enabled me to use a lot of uh, naked puns in the in the story, which was nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'd say okay. I'd say they got they got by by the skin of their teeth, you know. <laughs> uh, okay, I, I, I'm not through with the head scratching yet. Um, years ago, I was a state employee for a number of years, and I ran across. Uh, especially being an officer in the State Employees Association, I ran across people in every kind of job with the state that you can think of among the 50,000 employees that the state of Georgia had at that time. And uh, I never ran across a mermaid. I'm going to be honest (laughs) with you about that. And you say that there is an official state job. It's a mermaid. How yeah. in the world is it uh, – what? what? <laughs> well, okay, so there's a – you know, Florida used to have lots of roadside attractions back before Disney opened. Uh-huh. You know, the uh-huh. Cypress Knee Museum, Six Gun Territory, you name it. One of them was Wikiwachi Springs, which was this natural spring, and a guy named Newton Perry who used to be a Navy frogman, bought it in 1947, cleaned all the old refrigerators and cars out of it, and built this underwater amphitheater, and then hired these – you know, young women from the area to come in and swim in the in the spring and be mermaids and wave at the tourists. Mm-hmm. And so, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it became kind of a, a really hot 
thing. Elvis came by and a bunch of other celebrities. But by the 2000s, business kind of <clears throat> tailed off, so to speak. And um, and so so rather than rather than see it bought by a developer or a water bottler, the state stepped in and bought the place as a state park, and hired the mermaids. They are state employees, which has led to some interesting conversations about the use of tax dollars for waterproof lipstick and shell bras. Um, and as a and as a result of of Wikiwachi Springs, other people have decided that this is a good way to make a living, and so. There are mermaids working in Pensacola, Jacksonville, Fort Lauderdale. I, I interviewed a bunch of them for the for the first piece in there, which is all about how Florida's got this mermaid industry, and it's you know some people don't know about it because it's <clears throat> under the surface, so to speak. <laughs> That's terrific. Uh, I'm on, my I'm my on favorite my favorite one was this one woman who was 47, and she said, "Thank God, water lifts." <laughs> I'm on I'm on a, a buy by the same deal that David did. Uh if it comes back around I might ask some questions about Florida, but for questions about the book I'm gonna send it over to Catherine now. Catherine Okay. Hey, thanks for being on. You're you're just sure. such a great guest. We we really look forward to having you on the show. Well, thank <laughs> you. That's so nice. I have to ask you I have I, I will admit I have not read the book yet, but I saw uh, you know, some blurbs about it and I saw a reference to the ketchup murder. Yes. And I yes. thought our listeners I love that might, story. Like to, might like to learn a little bit about more about that. It is a it is a story out of Santa Rosa County in the Florida Panhandle, and it's all about local politics, which could be really rough and tumble in Santa Rosa County. Um, uh, there was a guy who had been a county employee, and he got hired on a three to two vote, and fired on a three to two vote, and then hired back on a three to two vote, and then fired on a three to two. And so finally he said, you know, maybe I'm not, I'm not to work for the county anymore. And he got a job as a radio commentator for WEBY AM in Milton, the Ben Henry Pooley show, I think it was called. And Ben Henry would go on the air, and he was like an early Rush Limbaugh. He would talk about local officials. He'd make funny comments about him. He'd give them all nicknames, you know, like the young gas-guzzling commissioner from Herald or something like that. <laughs> and it, it, it was must-hear TV. People would actually tape the show so they can hear it again later. And and there were tons of complaints came in to the station manager about some of the stuff he said, but it was all from the people he was talking about. <laughs> they weren't happy about it. Well, then somebody planted a bomb in his trailer and tried to blow him up. And fortunately, it was on the other side of a coat closet. And, you know, nobody uses coats very often in Florida, so... <laughs> the closet was full, and it muffled the bomb. There were three subsequent attempts on his life, and each one failed. Uh, but the one that's the famous one, the ketchup murder, is where they heard that someone was trying to hire a hitman. The Florida Department of Law Enforcement did. So they, they sent someone in undercover to pretend to be a hitman. And then one day they came and grabbed Ben Henry and took him out in the woods and smeared ketchup in his hair and took a Polaroid picture of him like he was dead, and they borrowed his his pinky ring, because he's one of those rural guys who wears a pinky ring, and took it back to show to the client who was going to pay $10,000 to kill Ben Henry. And uh, the person they arrested was a county commission candidate whose son wound up being Speaker of the Florida House. Uh, and he, oh, my he goodness. Said, he said, no, no, that, that $10,000 under my car seat, that wasn't the hire hit, man. Those are just campaign contributions. <laughs> 
<laughs> but Ben Henry took it all in stride to him. It was like a crank call. He said, yeah, I don't ever have any trouble getting insurance because nobody can kill me. <laughs> oh, my God. That is great. Well, what is your what are your favorite stories? from? Like, what's your favorite from the book? Oh, gosh. Well, I mean, I, I really like I like the mermaid story. To me, mermaid, Florida mermaids are like the gateway drug to weirdness <laughs> in Florida. Um, um, the the, I, the one about my uncle Carlisle is is there for a reason. It's it's the one that I kind of feel the, the strongest about. Uh, and then there are some ones in there about uh, some Florida writers that I really like. Uh, John D. McDonald. I wrote a piece about him and how he was an oh, really? an, envir- an early environmental activist uh, in Sarasota while he was busy cranking out all the Travis McGee mysteries. Man, um, he wrote a lot of those books. I read. Didn't I read. He? I remember read all of them. And it was just like every day I'd go to the library and I'm like, oh, there's another one. There's like another yeah. one. They yeah, were and they, in, they, were, they, were sort of, they were sort of a multi-generational thing. Someone I interviewed for the story was told me about how her grandfather and father and she didn't agree on a lot of other stuff, but they all agreed on John D. McDonald and how much they loved those mysteries. Uh, and then there's a piece in there about uh, Elmore Leonard, who lived part-time in Florida, and all his, his the books that made him a star were all set in Florida. Um, and then there's a piece about the most the most popular author you've never heard of, Donald J. Sobel, who wrote all the Encyclopedia Brown mysteries for kids, which oh. are hmm. sold 50 million copies and they're still in print today. Well, those so, sound, all all sound very interesting. I'm going to have to get that on my Kindle and take right. and read it. All sounds really good. I'm going to send uh, well, it back to David because I know he's got more. And thanks so much for being with us. Oh, sure. I really I appreciate it. Let me just mention one other one. Um, oh, okay. asked, um, there's a piece in there about um, this supposedly mystical creature in the panhandle called the leopard eel and a scientist who actually found one for real and discovered it was not an eel at all. It's a type of salamander. So he and a friend on their own time and with their own money did all the work to officially identify it and name it. And after it ran, and this is a, a postscript to the piece, after it ran, I got a very sternly worded letter from, from a lawyer for Tupperware because he had said he had put this creature he found into a Tupperware container, and they were concerned that it really was Tupperware and not some off-brand. <laughs> well, I, and they I wrote me a letter you, about it. <laughs> I will share with you, I'm not, that doesn't surprise me. In my uh, previous <laughs> life, one of my previous lives, I was a Velcro – distributor uh-huh. um, the velcro product yeah and um we we affi- sold official officially uh manufactured by velcro usa in their union w- plant in uh, new hampshire all very official mm-hmm. and every year we would get letters from their attorneys who had reviewed our website and gave us notes on all the places where we had misused the brand. Oh my. Now we fixed it every year. So every year they found other. Um, wow. But we they had a special line that you could call. Like if I ever saw references to Velcro that were not official, I would just call and report them. Amazing. They had a special Amazing. line that you could re- report misuse of the brand. So and, somebody, and somebody got paid one hundred fifty dollars an hour for doing that. <laughs> yes, at least. <laughs> Um, and and it, it's funny though when you they have to protect those brands because oh yeah like Tupperware I mean I can totally get Tupperware and Velcro very similar 
because sure. they have knockoffs, but they their brand is very um, important to them and has been yeah. around for a long time. Well, I wrote back to the to the attorney and said, no, he specifically said Tupperware, and I think that's you know it's important to put those details in. And I know Tupperware is a Florida product. They have a museum in Kissimmee where you can go see all the historic Tupperware and Burpet, I guess, if you want. And um, uh, and I said, in fact, I think you should tell your client to hire this scientist to endorse the product to his fellow scientists, because you know to tell them yeah. if you capture a, a, a mythical creature and you want to make sure it doesn't get away, put it in Tupperware. <laughs> that's what, that's what they, they have not done that. I don't know why they have not followed my advice. <laughs> well, I'm going to send it to David. Thank okay. you. Sure. Yes. Well, you mentioned this mythical creature. I, one last question about the book is: uh, Yeah, you have. Uh, it was called Florida. You know, wild men, uh, wild women, and other. You know, wildlife. Florida, uh, Florida men, and, Florida and, women, and, and other wildlife. Yep. Another wildlife. We haven't talked much about the wildlife. We know the cat, the, the panthers aren't there. That was for cattail. But tell yeah. us just about some of those wildlife stories real quickly. Oh, sure. Well, I mean, the, the, the one about the leopardy was one of them. Uh, there was one about the fastest gopher tortoise alive. Uh, it was fast because it, someone had stopped by where the scientific experiment was going on with, with this particular gopher tortoise. And somebody picked it up and chopped the... Uh, chopped the radio antenna off of it and stuck it in their car and drove off with it because they were going to have it for dinner. <laughs> and then um, uh, there's one about uh, um, uh, about the bear hunt, Florida's first bear hunt in 21 years, uh, which was a hugely controversial decision, and it really kind of blew up in the face of the State Wildlife Commission, and they have not held a second one since that one. So, uh, And there's a, there's a piece about... Um, Beggar the dolphin, uh, who got that name because it would <clears throat> beg for it would beg for food, and uh, um, kind of a, that's kind of a, that one's kind of a sad story. Uh, and there's an obituary for Snooty the manatee, the famous Manatee County manatee, who uh, unfortunately drowned. Um, so there's you know there's some some fun ones, but some sad ones too. Yes. Well, um, the, in the conclusion, we'll talk to you about where to get the book, but it is a fascinating. Sure read or listen to i listen to it probably many will read it um but let's ask you about some of the current uh characters and going on in florida and my first one (laughs) my only one i'll ask is about ron desantis and the special olympics um how exactly just like just days before the opening of the special olympics do you enforce a vaccine mandate or threaten them from pulling the games and, of course, backing the Special Olympians down. He has made a real um, uh, stand against requiring vaccines for anything. And so, uh, you know, that's certainly made the anti-vaccine people happy. It has, not paid, it has made some other people very unhappy. And in this case, it was, you know, the, the Special Olympics people were dealing with a lot of folks who were immunocompromised and have other problems. So they were going to require proof of vaccination, and state officials said you can't do that. The law says otherwise, and so they and and threatened to cut off any state funding from the from the from the program. So they dropped their requirement, and um, you know you can't. I mean, I can't say I blame the Special Olympics people. They were going to lose a whole ton of money, and uh, and so they backed down. But I mean, that's sort of the characteristic of what 
Governor DeSantis does is that he takes these really strong stands on fairly marginal issues, which, you know, Florida, Florida has, has been for months in the middle of an affordable housing crisis. He hasn't done anything about that. We had this long-term property insurance crisis. They passed some, some stuff in a special session that apparently hasn't changed anything because crisis is still there. We still have a property insurance companies going out of business. And, um, uh, you know, we've got this crisis where we've got manatees dying, dying by droves because of polluted water. Hasn't done anything about that either. So, you know, he throws money at stuff, but he doesn't actually try and make, you know, make the – make people clear up the pollution or anything like that. So I, he's into anything gets him a good shot on, on Fox News. That's basically it. Yeah, it's like he's running for the other 49 states. Oh, yeah. Kind of like Greg Abbott does in Texas. Well, I'll pass it to Catherine for some current Florida questions, then to Tim, and then we'll wrap it up. Uh, Catherine? Can, can, before you ask, can I just mention one thing that he does? he does that I found amazing is that he will pick a fight and then use that as a fundraiser. And so like the <laughs> Disney, his fight with Disney, he, he made a big deal out of it and then started fundraising off of it. And one of the things his campaign did for fundraising was that they put his balls up for sale. Golf balls, that is. They actually, they actually are selling golf balls. <laughs> I know. They actually are putting, putting, selling his golf balls in a package of two that's labeled, Our Governor Has a Pair. And I just I don't oh think people God. thought that through completely because you know what happens to golf balls? <laughs> they get hit a lot. <laughs> yeah, not not very classy. Uh Catherine? <laughs> yeah, I wanted to ask you, we recently heard about this uh county commission candidate who wants to abolish school boards. Yeah, in Collier County. Yeah, yeah. He uh he made a big deal out of – at a forum, they asked him, what do you want to do, what's, what's your goal, what would be the big one thing you'd change about Collier County? And he said, I want to get rid of the school board because they have really weak leadership because the superintendent is gay. And people were like, um, no. <laughs> um, number one, the county commission has no control over the school board. It's a separate constitutionally uh, set up uh, board. And then number two – Regardless of what you think of the leadership, the superintendent is not gay. So, you know, you want to do the Seinfeld thing of not that there's anything wrong with that, but still, it's like, are you bringing the, you know, this is not even a county issue. Like, what are you yeah. talking about? Yeah, pretty much. And, but, I mean, and, you know, there's there's a lot of that going on in Florida these days. <laughs> yeah, well, that's true. I, you know, David mentioned, uh, or I guess you mentioned the Disney. Whatever happened with all that Disney stuff? It's still hanging out there. Um, uh, the 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 change doesn't take effect until next July, so that supposedly uh, gives them time to negotiate and back down. You, you notice that the whole fight with Disney didn't didn't start until Disney said we're not going to make any more campaign contributions, and then suddenly it was like, oh oh my God, they're woke. We have to attack them. We need to take away their special privileges and so forth. Meanwhile, the governor has not returned any of the campaign contributions he received prior to that, so. It's not a real principled stand, if you ask me. <laughs> yeah, it looks like I washed me, but, you know, that's, yeah. I'm, I'm in Georgia. Okay, well, I'm going to pass it to Tim. I know he has some other follow-up questions. Okay. Uh, yes, sir. If there's one thing you've written about more even than the unusual people you've talked about tonight, of course, it's the environment. 
Yes. And, 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 and you recently wrote a column in which you touted the advantages of teaching school children about the importance of the environment, especially in, in the state of Florida. And yet, you know, as you said, this is not really being done. And no. So we have the school system, the government, parents. Who, who's dropping the ball on this? Well, I think the the uh, the legislature, you know, they they say they're really concerned about education and what kids are learning, but all they have done about it is they made them study that hey, communism's bad, and making money's good, which you know, duh. <laughs> so so I was saying, wouldn't it be more important if they taught them that Florida's environment is kind of cool and actually gave them an opportunity to get out in it and participate in it and so forth, um, you know. Um, for me, a lot of that was coming from my parents and, and my Boy Scout troop, which went hiking and canoeing, but not nearly as often as I thought they should. And and mm-hmm. uh, I've done the same with my kids where, you know, I took them to go see, uh, you know, the mantis that gather up in the winter at the at the uh, uh, power plant over in Apollo Beach. And, and we went on, we've gone on camping trips to various state parks and springs. They've swum in the springs. They've tubed down the uh, the Rainbow River. So they've gotten an experience about, you know about what it's like to be out in, the, in outside in Florida, which is really kind of the basis of our economy. Because if you screw up the environment, you screw up the economy in Florida. We found yeah. that out with the big red and, tide bloom. Yeah, right. And you've talked about you know the manatees, and and and, and you devoted a, a whole book to to saving the the panthers. Yes, and sir. you know they're, they're of course their their um, habitat disappearing and all of that. And yep. so I have to ask, especially with this resistance and, and non-action from the legislature that you mentioned, is the movement to protect and save the environment in Florida losing? Well, um, yes and no. I would say yes in the terms of a lot of the people who are in charge, all they pay attention to are the folks who are putting money in their campaign accounts. And a lot of those mm-hmm. folks are, are developers, especially Governor Sanders who, uh, you know, this has kind of been an undercovered, uncovered part of his campaign, but he's getting an awful lot of money from developers. Uh, and mm-hmm. uh, some of them are just are also his very close campaign advisors. Um, but on the other hand, I think people are realizing, like I said, that the environment is the economy here. And if we mess one up, we're going to mess the other one up. And And they realize what a special place this is. We've got a state park system that's won national awards four times. That's more than any other state. We've got these world-class beaches that regularly get ranked number one or number two on Dr. Beach's list. Uh, uh, you know, it's just a it's just a really cool place. And, and you can find whatever you want you can find here. We've got hiking trails. We've got paddling trails. Uh, you know, we've, we've got caverns to explore. So uh, it's just a, a really cool place, and I'm, I count myself lucky that I'm here every day. Every day I wake up. Mm-hmm. And, and that includes, of course, the river that you fell in. Yes, I did. Yes, read the Swanee River. I fell in the Swanee River. <laughs> I was not singing the song at the time, though. <laughs> <laughs> With that, sir, I'm going to send it back to David. David? Okay. Yes. Well, um, Craig, uh, we thank you for coming on the show. And I do want to tell you, I, I think I've told you before, I've taken your advice. You talked about how wonderful the springs were. I visited three of the springs, uh, Jenny Springs, Gilchrist Blue, and Itchnatucky. There's actually two at Itchnatucky uh, that we went to. And so mm-hmm. 
huge advice on that. But in the book, you mentioned Blue Springs, not Madison Blue, not Gilchrist Blue. Um, a lot of them have blue, obviously, in the title, but tell us what <laughs> makes Blue Springs so special. Well, what made it special for me was the origin story, you know, like they do in the comic books, the origin story for the hero. Um, this was a spring that was in private hands. It was owned by a very rich businessman in St. Petersburg who was having a secret affair with his assistant. And four times he said he was going to marry her, four times he got cold feet and backed off. But one of those times, as a sort of a token of his love and, of, and his promise to her, he gave her the deed to the spring. And so, and then when he died, uh, she became the executor of his estate, so she controlled the fate of all this land that this guy owned. Uh, and she made sure that a lot of the really important land wound up in state hands, like Whedon Island, which is a really important environmental and archaeological site in St. Petersburg. She was the one that made sure that didn't go to developers, but instead got purchased by the state. Um, uh, but she hung on to that spring. That was her spring. And so she and her family ran that as a private attraction for decades. And then, uh, you know, finally they were, they reached the point she died, and then the folks who were running it were like, you know, um, when we die, we're going to tell our kids that they should sell it. And so they, they did. They wound up selling it to the state. So that's now part of the state park system, and you can go visit that too. But those folks did a really good job of keeping it clean and, and keeping, the, keeping the spring in a very pristine condition, and it's, a, it's just a beautiful thing to see. Yes, and I'll tell you this. Um, we're actually we went Labor Day. We're thinking about that making that a, a annual Labor Day tradition. Seeing different springs based on what you told us, and now I got to see uh, Blue Springs, even though it's a little further away from. I think we can get the best hotel deals in the middle of all those springs, kind of there in Central mm-hmm. Florida. Um, so uh, I recommend it though. Those, those springs are amazing. Yeah. Host. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, let's let's leave it with this. Um, the book's about to come out in paperback, already in hardback, yep. and I know you even have places that have signed copies. Tell our listeners where they can get this book and read it. Um, well, there are a lot. Of, I know there are a lot of independent bookstores that are selling it. Like if you're in the Tallahassee area, Midtown Reader. Uh, I just went in and signed a bunch of books there, um, and uh, uh, you know, Tombolo Books here in St. Pete. I go by there. That's about ten minutes from my house, so I go by there about every. Every uh, every two or three weeks, and sign whatever they have in stock, and you can order online from there. Just you know, specify in the order that you want an autographed copy. Uh, and I'll be at the Miami Book Fair in November, and uh, and so if you're down that way, you know, stop by and say, hey, give me your John Hancock, and maybe I'll maybe I'll sign my real name this time. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and, and since I listen to audiobooks, I just want that cardboard box uh, that you alluded to <laughs> signing the other day on Twitter. <laughs> well, I was in Midtown Reader. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, well, Craig. I mean, we've got a second. Um, do you have another project in the works you can preview, or is it till, still too soon to tell? I am working on a book proposal about pythons, about how pythons kind of took over Florida. And uh, oh, um, yeah. I, I've, I've been trying to find the guy who found the first one in 1979. Outside the Everglades, it was 11 feet 9 inches, and oh. somebody, had run it, somebody had run it over, thank God, on the Tampa Trail. And so I'm, I've got a line on where I can find him, so I'm going to try and track that guy down and talk to him about what it was like finding that first python. I bet that's going to be an exciting book, but I have a feeling it's going to be out far enough along 
that we're going to have to have you back to talk about the other snakes in the state, uh, which run, you know, a lot of the political and governmental affairs um, in the meantime. But, Craig, we want to thank you for coming on the show tonight. Sure. My pleasure. Can I just mention two more things real quick before I go? Absolutely. One is, of course. One is uh, my 2010 book, Manatee Insanity, which never sold very well. They're finally putting it out in paperback at the same time that the state you're in comes out. That's next month. And there'll be a little update on what's going on with the manatees in that. And the second is I've got a podcast called Welcome to Florida that I encourage people to listen to. It's a, it, we put out a new one every week. Recent ones have been on the Wikiwachi Mermaids, uh, uh, the 1928 Hurricane, the Florida Folk Festival, uh, and, uh, and the Greek culture in Tarpon Springs. So we kind of cover everything you can think of. So give it a listen. Yes. And, and I've listened to a few of those episodes, and I will tell you, one, you get Craig's great humor, and then his co-host, at least in the early episodes, probably has the second greatest Florida announcing voice after Gordon Soley. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, I teased him about that. that. <laughs> Jack Scott. <laughs> he used to be in radio in Jacksonville. Yeah. <laughs> yes. He, re- well, uh, he reminds Craig, me of the guy who was going to do the audio version for The Scent of Scandal, and see, we were talking, and I said, is that the voice you're going to use for reading my book on, on audio? And he said, no, this is the voice I'm going to use. I said, okay, we're fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, there's rumors you're retired, but you seem too busy for that. Oh, good Lord, no. Uh-uh. No, I'm not retired. I've still got a house payment, man. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show tonight. Sure. My pleasure. Thanks. Thank you, Thank sir. You. All right. All right. That was Craig Pittman. The state you're in is the latest book, but that's not the only one. They're all great uh, to to read and listen to at least the – I think I've listened to four of them um, now and and probably would love all the rest of them too if I can find them. Uh, But we talked a little politics on the beginning. We had a little book talk and Florida political talk at the end. And until next week, been the Cozy Vine. Good night, guys. We are the heirs of that first revolution with a strong and united America. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.